Today's message is titled, Sacrificial Service. As you hear that phrase, it might conjure up a lot of different images. For me, when I first thought of this phrase, I couldn't help but think of a movie called Hacksaw Ridge. If you don't know about this movie, the, surrounding, uh, the story surrounding this film, it, it follows the life of a guy named Desmond Doss in the military, who was the first conscientious objector to receive the Medal of Honor during his military service. Doss, through refusing to eat, though refusing to even carry a gun on the battlefield, went into Okinawa as an army medic. And during his time there, he was credited as saving 75 different men. When I hear that story, I can't help but think, like, wow, that is sacrificial service. Or, or even thinking about other military personnel that pay the ultimate price and do end up giving their lives for their country. That is truly sacrificial service. And it's not too hard to find so many different examples of this, especially inside of, again, military stories. But, but I think all too often, we as humans tend to focus on the amazing, the big, the exciting, but fail to notice the underwhelming, the small, the mundane. And those of you who think in Bible terms, I'm, I'm certain that, it, that when it comes to this phrase, sacrificial service, it's not too difficult to think about, and it's easy to think about it in terms of the Son of God giving his life for you. The Son of God entering into this world and sacrificing himself and giving his life so that you and I could be with him forever. And it's easy to notice that. And it's easy to notice the miracles of service, of bringing people back to life, of, of giving sight to the blind, of healing and giving the ability to hear again and to heal the crippled. But today, I, want, I wanted to highlight and focus in on one of the lowest, most underwhelming and humbling acts that Jesus performed during his time here on earth. If you would, turn with me over to John chapter 13. And as I do every time that I preach, I want you all to read along with me. And I'm going to be reading out of the same Bible that you all use in your seatbacks. See, it's right here. You can find it right in front of you. Uh, and we're going to be in John chapter 13 again. And so it's super easy to follow along. Um, and I wanted to explain to you all why I do this every time, like why I emphasize this so much. And bear with me just a moment as I pull out my little nerdiness, okay? It's just who I am. You're going to have to deal with it, okay? So the reason why I get so impassioned about this and why I'm so intense about I want you all to follow along and be able to read this for yourself is that um, the Bible itself is truly a gift. 
Being able to use a Bible is such a privilege. See, in roughly the, the 1380s, the Bible was first translated into English for the first time by John Wycliffe and his followers. The 1440s, Gutenberg's printing press machine was finally invented, and since then, the Bible has become the most printed and sold book of all time. However, still not everyone was able to get it into their hands, and they weren't able to have a copy of their own. In fact, some, some of the faiths have even discouraged the use of the Bible over time. Martin Luther in the 16th century, he was somebody who started making a huge point that everyone should study the scripture for themselves. And, in, and he had this as an indictment against the Catholic Church at the time. And even then, it wasn't until 1943 that Pope Pius XII finally encouraged the use of common translations in the Bible instead of the Vulgate, encouraging the personal study of scripture. And finally, in the 1960s, after Vatican II, Mass was able to even use more common vernacular and translations than the Vulgate, which was the Bible written in Latin. This is such a gift that less than a hundred years ago, not everyone agreed that we needed to read out of our Bibles for ourselves. And I don't say this as a discouragement of, or, or insult of other faith backgrounds, but I say this because... It's such an encouragement and such a privilege that we can even hold the word of God for ourselves. And I don't, I hope that we can use it to understand God, to grow closer to him through it. And that's the reason why I mention it every time that I preach and why I'm so grateful we can all read it for ourselves, just in case you were wondering. <laughs> So we're going to be in John chapter 13. Again, seatback Bibles, you're going to be on page 10, or 1079 or 1079. So let's read some of these verses together, starting in verse 1. It says, It was just before the Passover festival. Jesus knew that the hour had come for him to leave this world and go to the Father. Having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. The evening meal was in progress, and the devil had already prompted Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot, to betray Jesus. Jesus knew that the Father had put all things under his power, and that he had come from God and was returning to God. So he got up from the meal, he took off his outer garment, and wrapped a towel around his waist. After that, he poured water into a basin and began to wash his disciples' feet, drying them with the towel that was wrapped around him. Now, this may seem a little gross to us. Maybe not like that bad, because we have... You know, today we usually, most of us, wear shoes and socks, unless you're from Kentucky. But <laughs> it's a joke. I'm kidding. It's a joke. I promise. But for the most part, we have fairly clean feet. Yeah, they might be a little, little stinky sometimes, but it's not that big of a deal. And there are still some people that would 
get a little freaked out, a little weirded out by feet and by this act, by all means. Like, like my, my aunt, she's one, she goes on Facebook Marketplace often, and if she even sees a picture of them, like whenever they're selling something and they have their feet in the photo, she won't even buy it. She's like, I don't care what the price is. It's just gross. She, she gets grossed out by even the sight of feet in a picture. How many, are any of you guys like that? That's good. I'm glad that you're not odd. <laughs> Generally speaking, feet aren't, aren't that gross. Maybe a little smelly, but it's not too bad. But when I think about the story and Jesus's reality of it back then is that the reality he lived in, they didn't have shoes and socks to cover their feet. They usually had sandals, like I like to wear most often, or my chacos. And the best depiction of understanding this is knowing that you have just sandals to cover your feet, and they didn't even have like paved sidewalks, right? They didn't have paved roads. It was mainly dirty, dusty trails. And you know what happens with dirty, dusty roads and trails and sandals? You get dirty, dusty feet. It's just what it is. And the best depiction of this I've encountered in my own life was when I was in middle school at a place called High Hill Christian Camp. This was a summer camp that I used to go to um, with my grandmother's church back in the day. Um, and there was one year where we had our, our game master for the week. He had a brilliant idea where he asked for a volunteer. Me being me, I didn't even care what I was volunteering. I was like, yeah, I'll do it. Pick me. I didn't care. I just like being picked. So he had us, he had us volunteers lay down about, about 15 feet away from our team. And, and the relay was for all of our team to, to get barefoot, to grab Cheetos with their toes, hop over, and then place it in our mouth. Okay? This is, this is real stuff. Now, generally speaking, it wasn't, wasn't too bad. But... There was one teammate in general whose name was, I'm not going to say his name. <laughs> uh, he was on my team. Who, who, he didn't even have to take his shoes and socks off because they were already off before the game. He walked around barefoot all the time. And I remember these, these brown wood chips were stuck in the middle of his toes that I, I was trying so hard to avoid getting those in my mouth while trying to eat the Cheeto that was soggy from his sweaty feet and trying to win this relay, which we ended up losing anyway. Needless to say, that game master had, had to relinquish his position the next year that we went to camp. But that's the kind of feat that Jesus washed. Disgusting, dirty, wood chip covered feet. And Jesus doing this for the disciples really was a big deal. This mundane, small, underwhelming, easy to look over task 
spoke volumes into the character of Jesus. See, back then, it was very common for people to wash their feet before a meal. That was normal. It was actually encouraged and recommended that you do this before the meal that you're about to have. It's pretty cleanly. But usually they would either have a servant do this or they would wash their own feet for themselves. And Jesus in this moment literally took the place of a servant, of a slave, of a place of being lesser and served them through washing their feet in this instance. He humbled himself down to serve his disciples, to clean the dirtiest part of them. Well, maybe the second dirtiest. Parents, you can explain that one to your kids. That's fine. (laughs) But one disciple in the story has a noteworthy response. Let's keep reading in this story to pick up in verse 6, just on page 1080. It says, He came to Simon Peter, Jesus, came to Simon Peter, who said to him, Lord, are you going to wash my feet? And Jesus replied, You do not realize now what I am doing, but later you will understand. No, said Peter, you shall never wash my feet. Jesus answered, Unless I wash you, you have no part with me. Then, then Lord, Simon Peter replied, not, not just my feet, but my hands and my head as well. Jesus answered, those who have had a bath need only to wash their feet. Their whole body is clean. And you are clean, though not every one of you. For he knew he was going to be betrayed, or he knew who was going to betray him. And that was why he said not everyone was clean. And remember what I had said about, about the amazing, the big, the exciting I believe this fits in really well with, with Peter's response in this moment. First, he, he recognizes who Jesus is. Peter says, Lord, and recognizes that he is the master, the higher, the better. And he knows that he doesn't deserve for Jesus to take this position, to do this to him. But after Jesus says this needs to be done... Peter wants the whole shebang, right? See, the the important parts back then would have been the hands and the head. Peter is effectively saying, oh, well, if that's the case, if you need to do this, take care of the really important parts of me, not just my feet. Do the big, the important, the things that matter most, the exciting But Jesus says, no. I believe that a lot of us are willing to have Jesus serve us in the big ways. But we sometimes struggle with allowing him to serve us in the underwhelming, in the small, in the mundane. I know for myself, I sincerely struggle with allowing someone else to help me. To receive service. I know that for myself, I'm, I'm much more willing to serve than to be served. Being served in and of itself can be humbling. 
but are we willing to surrender all of it over to Jesus? To let him help us with the big things and beyond also help with the small. Yes, I'll, I'll give you my life, Jesus, but my money, well, that's a little bit different. Yes, I, I want Jesus to get rid of my sin and addictions, but my, my lying, is that really something that Jesus needs to, to focus on? Let me just fix that on my own. You don't need to worry about that, Jesus. And we want Jesus to serve us in the ways that we are comfortable with, to help us how we want to be helped. Nothing more, nothing less. And Jesus enters into the mess. The parts of us that we don't want anyone to know about or see, let alone God himself, and he washes us clean. Are you willing to do, let Jesus do this for you? To see your true brokenness and that which you're most ashamed of and let him serve you in this way. Jesus goes on to explain why he did this. Let's keep reading, picking up in verse 12. It said, when he had finished washing their feet, he put on his clothes and returned to his place. Do you understand what I've done for you? He asked them. You call me teacher and Lord, and rightly so, for that is what I am. Now that I, your Lord and teacher, have done this, have washed your feet, you also should wash one another's feet. I have set you an example that you should do as I have done for you. Very truly I tell you, no servant is greater than his master, nor a messenger greater than the one who sent him. Now that you know these things, you will be blessed if you do them. And if we want to look like Jesus, we are called to serve in humility. And it's not about whether or not we get recognized as the most important person. It's not about getting an attaboy or girl or a slap on the back to make ourselves feel better. We serve others in humility because Jesus first served us. And there's so many lovely people that serve here around this church and serve well. I'm truly so grateful for the attitude of service of some of you that I've seen. I'm grateful for our tech team in the back who probably doesn't want me to give attention to them right now. I'm grateful for the communion prep team, the worship team, the decorators, our, our people who are serving in the children's ministry and the nursery. Sunday school teachers, greeters, coffee makers, towel washers, bulletin folders, missions emphasizers, letter writers, and so on and so on. And so many other things that make every, even just Sunday morning, happen and run smoothly. And what I love so much is that people aren't looking for congratulations. 
They're not doing it for accolades or, or praise or a thank you. Some of y'all who serve in these ways probably don't even want me to make mention of it. But I'm truly grateful for the way that people serve around here. And I'm, I'm certain that it does, but I pray specifically that this attitude can happen in all that we do. That it extends beyond Sunday mornings and beyond these walls. That it extends beyond those who are similar to us. It extends especially to those who do not know anything about the God that we serve. Where it's not about what we have to gain from it, but about the act of serving and finding fulfillment in that itself. And this concept was near and dear to the heart of Jesus. He continually appeals to us, not just to serve those like us, those whom we have to gain from, but instead serving the lowly. People who are socially, economically, politically, educationally, any barrier that we can think of and put up, he asks us to tear them down and serve those who are lesser and lower by the world's standards. And in Matthew chapter 25, I want to share with you all, you don't have to turn over there, it's it's on page 994 if you want to, but um, in Matthew 25, he shares with us the story of the, the day of judgment. And he shares with us as to what happens in this moment. He says this in verse 31 of Matthew chapter 25. He says, when the Son of Man comes in his glory and all the angels with him, he will sit on his glorious throne. All the nations will be gathered before him and he will separate the people one from another as a shepherd separates sheep from the goats. He'll put the sheep on his right and the goats on his left. Then the king will say to those on his right, come, you who are blessed by my father, take your inheritance, the kingdom prepared for you since the creation of the world. For I was hungry, and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty, and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger, and you invited me in. I needed clothes, you clothed me. I was sick, you looked after me. I was in prison, you came to visit me. Then the righteous will answer him, Lord, when did we even see you hungry? And feed you, or thirsty, give you something to drink. When did we see you as a stranger and invite you in or needing clothing and clothe you? When did we see you sick or in prison and go visit you? We, I don't remember doing that. I think I would have remembered seeing Jesus, right? And the king will reply, truly I tell you, whatever you did for one of the least of these brothers and sisters of mine, you did for me. You see, they, they turn and ask Jesus, wondering, how, how do we serve you? And Jesus replies, whatever you do for the least of these, we did for him. And when we serve the lowly, we serve Jesus himself. And as we serve in humility, again, it's not about what we have to gain from it. Whether, whether it will be 
for, for getting closer with people, people of higher status or, or using it as a tax deduction, feeling good about yourself, hoping that your good deeds will bring good deeds back to you. But instead, Jesus shares with us in Luke 6 that our deeds should be focused on those who can't do anything to pay us back or aren't even willing to pay us back. This doesn't mean that we neglect or do not serve those who might be well off. Doesn't mean that we shouldn't help out a friend, but he helps us recognize that if we do it for this purpose, that it isn't any different than the rest of the world. He says in Luke chapter 6, verses 32 through 36, he says this. He says, if you love those who love you, what, what credit is that to you? Even sinners love those who love them. And if you do good to those who do good to you, who are good to you, what credit is that to you? Even sinners do that. And if you lend to those whom you expect repayment, what credit is that? Even sinners lend to sinners expecting to repay in full. But what I tell you is love your enemies. Do good to them. And lend to them without expecting to get anything back. Then your reward will be great. And you will be children of the Most High because he is kind to the ungrateful and wicked. Be merciful just as your heavenly Father is merciful. It's really easy to love those who treat us well. Really easy to serve somebody who is thankful and grateful. But are we willing to serve those who aren't grateful, who wouldn't even say thank you, and who might be our enemies? And what I love about Jesus is that he means what he says and he walks the walk. When he said these things about loving his enemies, doing good to them, he also set the example with our text this morning in John 13. You see, while, while Jesus could have sent someone off early, notice that during the story there's an important character present still in the midst of this. Judas Iscariot the one who was going to betray Jesus, the one whom Jesus said was, was filled with the devil, was still there. Jesus didn't dismiss him. He didn't make him leave. Instead, he stooped down and washed even his own betrayer's feet knowing full well what he was going to do. And that's the final point that I want to make you all, is that Jesus washed Judas's feet too. That's the kind of service that we're called to as Christ followers. A, a sacrificial service that is for everyone. And as we go into our invitation song, if you haven't yet decided to give your life to Jesus, let me tell you that, that he is the only one that can truly wash us and make us clean. 
from all the wrongs that we've done. It was through his service, through his life, that we now can have life too. If you want to talk about, talk to me about it, I'll be down front right there. Um, and I, I would love to talk to you during this next song. Or if you'd like, you could talk to Jeff or any of the elders. Mike Nakoff is one of them who did the communion meditation. But, but if you want to make the decision to serve the God who serves, meet me down there. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I pray that we can love as you love, to serve as you serve, and be intentional with not just doing it for the benefit of ourselves, but instead recognizing that you are the God who serves each and every one of us, that serves even his betrayers, even his enemies. You love that way. Allow us to love like you do. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.